Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self abandon. The amazing spider talk. The amazing spider talk. Come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the amazing. Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavosden, and I'm the founder and editor of AmazingSpiderTalk.com. And I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us for the much-delayed Episode 9 of the second season of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. And a side note from me, thanks, everybody, for being patient with me about going on my honeymoon and taking some time off from the show. Dan, it's okay. I just want to make sure, like, did the puma attack you at all on your honeymoon, or were you in pretty okay shape? I'm actually okay, but funny enough, we went to the Museum of Pop Culture in Seattle, and there in the gift shop was the spectacular Spider-Man annual number 19, the the puma annual, and uh, I picked it up. So I bought the honeymoon issue on my honeymoon. That's about as fitting as I could probably make it. How meta. I don't own that issue, Dan. So, I mean, is this something you're going to hold over me now? or uh, No, you know? no. Although that's a really fun issue. And if you haven't read it, definitely check it out. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's a lot of fun. Oh, the Puma. Remember when the Puma was an important character? <laughs> He's still important. We don't you're want Ron right. friends to know that you feel that way. I'm not I'm not dissing the character. He just rarely gets used now. That's all. <laughs> uh, I like the Puma. Yeah, um, me too. Uh, Mr. Fireheart, uh, yes. if you will. <laughs> anyway. Um, so anyway, in this second season of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk, we're not going to be talking about the Puma, but we, we have all season been taking a closer look at how Spider-Man hit the big time during the Stan Lee and John Romita senior run on Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, on this episode, we're going to be looking... Uh, at one singular issue, Amazing Spider-Man number 90, also known as And Death Shall Come, also known as The Death of Captain Stacy. Yes, uh, we're going to be talking about George Stacy's fateful meeting with a bunch of rubble, a story we actually have never discussed in any real depth on this show, not even when we did our essentials uh, a couple of years ago, Dan, which is a little odd, but hey... Now's a great time, right? (laughs) Perfect. Um, You know, basically, Dan, the reason why we're going to talk about this is because after Uncle Ben's death in Amazing Fantasy number 15, I mean, Captain Stacy's death in Amazing Spider-Man number 90 kind of kicked off this idea of the central theme of death that I feel um, that we both feel has become very essential to Spider-Man comics in recent years. And we'll certainly kind of talk about why that's the case. Yeah, great. Uh, you know, this episode wouldn't be possible without support from our wonderful Patreon subscribers whose patronage allows us to assemble all the guests we have on the show and do all of our research and even travel to conventions, which Mark and I may have an announcement to make 
relatively shortly about. But if you enjoy the show and you want to help us continue while getting amazing bonus content and additional episodes that we never release publicly, go to our show notes and check out our Patreon page and consider joining our team. Yeah, this week we want to thank our new Patreon subscribers who made this particular episode possible. Uh, thanks to the following for joining our team, starting off with Kurt Harper. And Jacob Sitarski. Eric Herlan. Jeremy Bragg. And Zachary Parkerson. Dan, I wonder how many of those names we butchered. It is a rite of passage, right? It is a rite of passage. So uh, the other rite of passage is I tell you where you can find this comic. So Amazing Spider-Man number 90, like most comics these days, can be found in your local comic shops if you're lucky, on Marvel Unlimited if you just pay for the service, and on Comixology if you take like five seconds to look. So basically anywhere you can find comics, you can find this magazine. And uh, short story long, we hope you enjoy our episode entitled Reintroducing Death. Going back to Spider-Man, one of the most heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, but yet fantastic storylines was Captain Stacy's death. What were your thoughts on those monumental events in Spider-Man's life? The death of Captain Stacy was something I thought the readers wouldn't expect, but it was the type of thing that could happen in real life. But what I liked best about it was the very end, when Captain Stacy was dying, and Spider-Man was there with him trying to save him, but he couldn't save him. And Captain Stacy looked up at Spider-Man and with his dying breath, oh. he said something like, take good care of her, oh, yeah. Peter. And Peter knew that Stacy had always known who he was. To me, that was one of the most dramatic panels in comics. I love that. Or in anywhere, really. I thought that was good. All right, Dan. Why don't we talk a little bit about the comic first, the story itself, uh, before we kind of get into the broader issue of, of death in Spider-Man, just because um, it's funny. This is, this is, I think it's unquestionably a landmark issue of Spider-Man. It really should have been in our essential series. We missed the mark on that one. I think we were trying to be a little too cute uh, in some of our selections there <laughs> and, and, and missed, a, missed an obvious one. Um, when you actually read the comic itself, though, like it's a little odd, despite the fact that it's ultimately very consequential. I mean, one of the things that kind of strikes me is, especially when you read this in a series of, of other comics during this era, I mean, it's really like a shakeup for the sake of a shakeup. Like there's, there's like no bill, you know, we, we joke about the long game in Spider-Man comics. There's no long game here. I mean, it's not like, you know, there was always this kind of like, does Captain Stacy know Peter's secret identity or not kind of thing in the background. And, you know, he was a good, good cop and a very smart man. So, you know, it would never, I don't think it would have been shocking if it was real that he did, but like, it wasn't, they weren't like teasing that, he was getting closer or like that, 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 you know, or there wasn't like friction between Peter and Gwen where Captain Stacy's death would have maybe further escalated that. 
as it inevitably did. It, 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 so this this really does just come out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, you're you're not kidding. I mean, you got the cover right, which is like the first signal that like maybe something is is going to happen in this issue. And the rest of the issue is like you've got Peter kind of wondering if Captain Stacy knows his identity. He's mostly been just worried about like dealing with Otto, you know, Octavius and and the threat that that poses and then suddenly this Captain Stacy angle is like injected into this book. And you know, obviously so it could pay off at the end of the issue, but it's mainly just a big Otto Octavius fight in in this book. You know, he he has a little scuffle with him and then he tags him with a spider tracer and then he kind of goes off and and tries to track him down to confront him again. And you've got a brief scene with George and Gwen somewhere in there. But it's, it's kind of – I think the reason it didn't make our essentials list is it is consequential. But the story isn't really anything crazy special other than what it would introduce into the Spider-Man mythos. Yeah, I mean it's not like you know this is a memorable fight between Peter and Otto. I mean – you know, basically, his entire um, solution to dealing with Doc Ock, um, I don't even feel really gets fleshed out. So he like experimented with his web web solution, and when he shoots it at Otto's arms, it causes Otto's arms to like basically attack Otto. And like, I, like, did you fully grasp what was happening here? Sci- I know it's comics, but uh, the science didn't seem fully planted out here <laughs> this is the kind of thing where if it was steve dicko drawing it you would get like 10 charts in the comic about how this new webbing worked in intricate detail and here you just kind of get like a hand wave like oh i'm updating my webbing you know uh, <laughs> you know in, in a way that even makes like something as ridiculous as like the anti-magnet device from amazing spider-man issue 2 look like a fully fleshed out idea it's just like, here's the magic webbing that I invented that turns Otto's arms against him. And it's like, where did this come from? And why haven't we seen this again? I mean, I guess we could say we haven't seen it again because it caused a tragic accident. But, like, there's no build up to this webbing creation either. Right. And also, I mean, like, I think another reason why this kind of gets overlooked, too, like we said, obviously, this is a fight with Doc Ock. Um, but at this point in time, it, it really felt like Doc Ock was getting eclipsed by Norman Osborn and the Green Goblin as kind of like the arch nemesis. Like we had this, I mean, beyond the spectacular Spider-Man magazine that we discussed uh, a few episodes back. I mean, like there, there had just been kind of this ongoing storyline that would ultimately kind of uh, seed itself in, in the, the, the drug code issues that we most recently talked about as well. Um, where, you know, Osborne was regaining his memories and, you know, he was going to strike at Peter at any moment and he knows his identity. So that kind of like escalated him on, on the chart. Uh, so I kind of chuckled to myself too, when, uh, in this, uh, uh, in this issue, uh, Spider-Man refers to Doc Ock as his greatest villain. And it's like, but you're, you, you don't even really think that anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mean, obviously, Doc Ock would get used again um, with a little more clout in the future. But like in terms of this case, this was I really do feel like, you know, you had the the what was it? The ultimate nullifier arc early in the Stanley uh, Ramita era for Doc Ock and Spider-Man. And there wasn't a ton of Doc Ock stuff after that. He he was kind of getting farmed out a bit for K 
Kingpin and, and the Osbournes and, and, and other characters. I think that kind of like adds to the out of nowhereness of this whole thing as well. Well, speaking of like enhanced emotional wording, you know, greatest villain ever, you know, Spider-Man even refers to George Stacy here as his second best friend, you know, like <laughs> behind Uncle Ben. It's like, wait, really? Like this was your best friend? Meanwhile, he probably referred to like Harry as his best friend, like three episode, uh, three issues earlier, right? I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all to kind of cook the drama here a little bit, which I think is, you know, it, it's it's pretty well set up in the actual like way it plays out on the page, right? You've got right. Doc Ock kind of dealing with his arms that are flailing like crazy because of Spider Man, and the arms strike a part of the wall on this building causing rubble to fall towards the street where George Stacy is standing and he makes a running dive to push a child out of the way and himself gets buried in the rubble and kind of pushed to the brink of death and you know ultimately he dies in Spider-Man's arms revealing that he knows that Spider-Man is Peter and begging him to keep Gwen safe a really dramatic moment, you know, for Spider-Man. And I think, you know, not only does it introduce, reintroduce death back into the comics, but it's a kind of a similar theme with the Uncle Ben story in that I don't think Spider-Man is totally blameless in this moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say certainly Spider-Man's role in the death of Uncle Ben uh, or Peter's role in the death of Uncle Ben is is certainly more pronounced it's more motivated by selfishness and and arrogance and hubris that is i don't feel that that that, that colors what happens to captain stacy here yet i feel like in a lot of ways because you know uncle ben's death taught peter the ultimate lesson that made him become spider-man the hero but in a lot of ways captain stacy's death more or less serves as a template for all the other deaths of supporting characters that have followed this idea where, you know, it's not Peter's fault per se, but he's not blameless. He could have done more if he only did this, if he only didn't do this, like all those elements are part of Captain Stacy's death. And all of them, I feel, get used over and over again whenever a major character dies in a Spider-Man comic, right? Yeah, Absolutely. But this story also kind of gets overlooked because you've got 30 issues later, tragically for the Stacy family, the death of his daughter, Gwen Stacy. Um, you know, and even the fallout of this death is kind of overshadowed by that because the fallout of this death is that Gwen leaves to go to London and, you know, Peter worries that she's going to discover that he's Spider-Man and she blames Spider-Man for George's death, you know, so you've got that all tied up, but just getting rid of Gwen solves that problem. And so you've kind of erased the George Stacy moment from being a big effective part of Spider-Man history. What do you think about that, Mark? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's funny, like, in, in this would have been one of those instances where, oh man, I would have loved to ask John Romita himself about this because it kind of feels like, and you know, this is pure speculation and I apologize, but like this could have been used as a way to truly shake the book up and, and, and change the status quo in a lot of ways. 
And like Stan Lee kind of undoes it all a few issues later. And I think that's what a lot of, I think that's why they had to come back and then kill Gwen. You know what I mean? Because I mean, as Jerry Conway had noted, everything was just so stale at that point. And, you know, so here you go, you, you, you kill Gwen's father and, and, you know, the father for that, like you you could break them up, you know, she's blaming Spider-Man. You know, he's blaming himself for things. You can really change a lot of stuff up. And then by the end of the drug issues, like everyone just kind of moves on. I, and I think that has more to do with the fact why it kind of gets brushed under the rug. And that, and that kind of, you know, because you got to figure by, by issue 100, Stan Lee is no longer writing the book and, and new people are coming on. And, you know, Jerry Conway has always described that Ramita was very supportive of his decision to kill Gwen Stacy off. You know, thought it would be good for the book. It, it, you know, you got to wonder, like, maybe maybe Ramita was kind of pushing this story <laughs> as a way to, to just kind of mix it up and, and, and change directions. And then Stanley, who always adored Gwen because he basically saw Gwen as an analog for his own wife, Joan, just kind of bring, bring them back together, you know? like So I, I, th- I think that has a lot to do with it, too. I feel like the Gwen death, too, is a more fitting character to kill off in the pages of the book because... She was an archetype that the book had several of, you know what I mean? Kind of women interested in Spider-Man. But I felt like Captain Stacy brought a really unique angle that we've never really seen back in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man proper. They've flirted with it in Ultimate Spider-Man a little bit, which is the kind of like sympathetic cop character um, to Spider-Man. I mean, I guess you could say like Yuri Watanabe, but even she has a kind of this own whole other, you know, superhero side to her that makes her unique. And I feel like, you know, there was something gained by killing George off in the book. The idea, you know, of that this person found out his identity and the repercussions of it. Like you said, those got swept under the rug. But then I felt like the book lost a really important character that added a really unique angle to its already great supporting cast. Yeah, I mean, I think you could probably argue that after Captain Stacy's death, not a cop character, but like Joe Robbie Robertson kind of, I feel took over as that sage like older character who knows more than I think the re you know, the reader kind of assumes he knows more than he it says on the page about certainly about Spider Man and Peter. But kind of like a father figure. Again, I do think like Captain Stacy's unique role in law enforcement it was just an interesting angle for the character. I guess you could say Jean DeWolf, too. And then they killed her. Uh, <laughs> someone who kind of, like, you know, let Spider-Man be, you know, like, like saw Spider-Man as, as more of a force of good, even if he operated outside the confines of the law. But, um, but we haven't seen that since. <laughs> There's definitely, a, a, like, an alternate universe where George was never killed and Gwen died. And then he becomes, like Jonah, a kind of, like, vengeful character that saw Spider-Man involved in the death of his daughter and a way to kind of, like, make Spider-Man's, you know, the the snap of Spider-Man's webbing and and how that was involved in Gwen's death into kind of, like, a literal figure that's haunting Spider-Man in some way. You know, like, even Gwen's death, I feel like, is kind of, like let off the hook a little bit by the fact that her father was already dead and 
and there were no familial repercussions for Gwen dying. There was no real specter of anything left in the wake of Gwen's death regarding her own life. She just kind of disappears from Peter's life. Um, and I, I wonder, I, I, I have to think, like, as much as I like this issue, like, I feel like that alternate reality of, of a lingering Captain Stacy could be very interesting. Yeah, so, uh, you know, you, you, I guess you can be the watcher here uh, on an alternate uh, timeline. To uh, <laughs> there's a what if uh, what if story begging to be begging to be done there. Um, yeah, and of course yeah. we would get this story told in the uh, the movie Amazing Spider-Man um, with Dennis Leary as Captain Stacy of all people, with the lizard doing this scene. Not not entirely the same, obviously, but but close enough in how it plays out. Right. Although I, you know, one of the things that always bothered me about that sequence too was, you know, Captain Stacy in that movie basically telling Spider-Man to stay away from Gwen, not to take care of Gwen, as he's told here in the comics. I mean, that felt more fitting to the character, but you know, I guess they were just trying to create more romantic drama there. Right, uh, <laughs> and then then Peter just like chooses to not listen to him a scene later. It's kind of like bizarre, Choose, but chooses not to listen to him. And, and Gwen in those movies also seems very unfazed by the role of her husband, of her boyfriend's of her boyfriend in her father's death. She's yeah. Just kinda like, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> those movies were problematic to say the least. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, you know, this, like we've been saying, would set the kind of template for, a bunch of other stories to come, uh, we could list off. Well, let's do it, Mark. Let's list and talk about some of these uh, kind of, I would say, major supporting character deaths this kind of paved the path for. There's a lot of people that have died surrounding Spider-Man, like we could say Ashley Kafka or something. But I think like George Stacy, you know, I mean, he wasn't even the only death in this in this time, right? Like we got like Frederick Foswell who died, who was a supporting cast character. But like I would say, like major sympathetic supporting character deaths um, became like a thing that they would do every now and again, like the death of Peter's second best friend. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, obviously, I mean, you know, as we've mentioned numerous times already, I mean, Gwen Stacy is is. I mean, would kind of supplant Captain Stacy as the quintessential character death in Spider-Man comics. But, I mean, just kind of comparing the two, it does follow the template here, which is that, you know, again, it's it's not, you know, Spider-Man does not kill Gwen Stacy, but because Peter is Spider-Man, Gwen Stacy died, and he carries that guilt and burden with him. And I think that's kind of, the, the, that's the theme, and that's I think in a lot of these instances what we see. Like, like also the next one you have written down here is Marla Jameson, recent one, and we got that great No One Dies issue that kind of followed that up. That really dove into this idea of death in Spider-Man comics. Maybe that's why we didn't talk about this issue, Dan, because we talked about No One Dies in our Essential series, and that kind of, to me, that like summarized that takes the whole history of these all these characters dying and 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 kind of wraps up why that's so thematically significant right well that's where i got most of this list from is i opened that <laughs> i i opened that issue up and i wrote down every person i saw 
Right, right. Because Dan Slott did not let anybody slip in that issue. He never does. <laughs> no, he is very thorough. Um, so, yeah, but Mar- Marla Jameson, I, she did not have quite the kind of, like, entanglement that, let's say, like, Captain Stacy had. Like, she's killed by a Spider-Man villain because Spider-Man's not fast enough to get there. But really, I would put her death squarely on the shoulders of Jonah and his recklessness. I think that's fair. Who else do we want to talk about here in terms of character deaths? Well, we, if we're talking about Jamesons, we can talk about Jay Jameson ah. uh, as well, who had kind of an unceremonious death a couple years ago. He just kind of died, and that was about it. But a touching issue where he dies, nevertheless, from some vague health Disease. menace. Yeah, coughing blood into a napkin thing. Um, I think we were supposed to believe it was associated with cloning in some way, so you can tie Spider-Man in in that regard. There's not as much guilt associated here, um, although Spider-Man is kind of like stuck between a rock and a hard place in regards to providing Jay some like support um, that ultimately, I guess, like allows for him to bite the dust. Right, right. Another recent one here and i mean this is super recent is of course flash thompson and i'm sure well we'll see if we if we explore that i mean you know i i I would i would think that there's something to explore there for the character uh in this but you know we're getting a new creative team so who knows right yeah i i hope so but it is it is a weird thing to kind of like pick up a new book where you're literally responding to someone in mourning. You know what I mean? I think maybe that's the point of Dan Slott's sequence in 800 to kind of like have Spider-Man swinging off. It's like we've dealt with the funeral and he's a character that's moving on. But I, I certainly, I hope there's some lasting impact on from Flash Thompson's sacrifice, you know, beyond a very fitting end for that character. Right. And kind of a la Captain Stacy, you know, the reveal that I knew you were Spider-Man, you know, or I found out you were Spider-Man. Right. I mean, it's 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 a theme. It's 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 these are beats that get hit upon a lot from ASM 90. Right. In the moment of your death, I will near death. I will I will reveal that I knew you were Spider-Man for a while now. Speaking of which, Aunt May. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Aunt May, will she there was a fake death. Well, they were both fake deaths, I guess. But I guess the first one were, was like, what was it, like 197 or something with Mysterio kind of faking her death to get the burglar into the house? So I wasn't the- even thinking about that one. Oh, okay. What do you, so obviously the, the, one that, the one that I count, even though that got undone, was Amazing Spider-Man number 400. Well, I was thinking about uh, One More Day. Oh, right. Jeez. So three times Aunt May has been teased dead. That's <laughs> well. Four hundred again was the most significant, and that one had again the the Captain Stacy esque reveal of, oh, aren't you going to be Spider Man, dear? You know what I mean? <laughs> like very. Um, but I mean, certainly in that instance, Peter did not play a role in her death in any way. I mean, just besides the fact that she was old and she died, right? Strangely enough, I would say that's like a bold take in comics, which is kind of weird to say that a natural death is a bold take. But, you know, there's such a like desire to 
wrap it up in some superhero thing. I think that's what made it all the more touching is that like it really didn't have much to do with that at all or anything at all. Yeah. The next one, he, this is an interesting one. It's like this is a death that gets elevated, but I mean, I think even the person who scripted her death kind of like scoffs at that. That's uh, Captain Jean DeWolf, also a police you know, police captain, a la Captain Stacy. You know, Peter David has joked about how when he wrote the death of Gene DeWolf in Spectacular Spider-Man in the 80s, you know, he got all this hate mail and, uh, you know, how could you kill this character off? And he was like, this character, how could I kill this character off? No one had cared or no one was had been writing her for years at that point. <laughs> like, you know, she was introduced in Marvel Team-Up in the 70s and, you know, kind of had a presence in the comics, but... I think what makes her death significant is more about like how that story was told and, and it's a very uniquely executed story in terms of the world of Spider-Man. I mean, I've always kind of compared it to a Frank Miller Daredevil story in terms of its themes and its darkness. And again, I don't know if Spider-Man necessarily holds guilt for like he, he holds guilt that he didn't get to know her more, but he doesn't blame himself for her death. But you will see her every now and again pop up in, like, floating heads of guilt yeah. as, like, a major character, as, like, weirdly non-fitting as I think that is, because you're right, it kind of also is very tangentially connected to Spider-Man. Um, although Gene DeWolf does win the award for most grisly death. Yes, yes. But, you know, it, it's... Again, for for a comic that's supposed to be very kind of all-age friendly and stuff, a lot of people die in these comics. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next one, not, not necessarily a critical character, but like in terms of the floating heads of guilt, I think we get a lot of it here, is Nathan Lebesky, yes. uh, Aunt, Aunt Mays. They didn't get married, right? They were just courting each other, I believe. Yes, they were just courting each other. You know, like... Because Nathan Lebesky, I mean, it's funny, you know, he was kind of introduced as this uh, kindly old gentleman uh, during the Roger Stern run on and John Romita Jr. run on Amazing Spider-Man. And then kind of had this dark, not past, but these dark connections kind of got on Earth. He was a gambler. He was in trouble with the mob. <laughs> He's getting like beat up uh, in his wheelchair by thugs and stuff. And um, I believe that it was uh, Spider-Man in Battle with the Vulture, right? That where he was, uh, or it was the Sinister, I think it was the second Sinister Six story, right? Where he's killed off for good? I think so. It's been a long time since I've read his death story. I I do believe it's a 90s comic and it involves the Vulture. And there's a a later comic, uh, I think it's a JMD comic on Spectacular, where, like, Aunt May confronts the Vulture for his role and kind of, like, you know, admonishes him for it. But again, like, there were a lot, I mean, that great comic, I don't think we talked about this in Essentials, but we've talked about it on the show before with, uh, um, about Crusher Hogan, you know, like, coming back to Crusher Hogan, and and Spider-Man has that Catch-22 decision to make where he can either... War, you know, kind of keep an eye on Nathan Lebesky or or save Crusher Hogan from certain death, and he chooses Crusher Hogan, and then Nathan Lebesky ends up getting like really badly beaten and hospitalized, and so like the character like is a source of guilt for Spider Man constantly because he's he just can't look out for him. This got this is this man that made too many mistakes on his own, and Spider Man trying to do the right thing by his Aunt May just can't can't save him basically. 
Yeah, and so he does die in the Return of the Sinister Six. It's Amazing Spider-Man 336. And more importantly to our conversation today, the cover of that issue is a direct copy of Amazing Spider-Man 90, where it's got, you know, someone dies, there's a man in Spider-Man's arms, the face is obscured by shadow. It wouldn't be a far stretch to guess that it was Nathan Lubeski, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the cover itself is acknowledging this homage definitely it, it's you know eric larson and all his glory in the 90s there and uh, anyone else you want to bring up here dan well i think ben riley deserves to be mentioned he you know beyond being a supporting character he was the main character for a short while there and you know his death you know i guess more akin to norman osborne's death in that he was stabbed with a glider or Norman Osborn's presumed death. You know, that was another moment of, of I wouldn't say guilt for Spider-Man, but, you know, this guy took a a glider for Peter and was a big turning point for not only that story, but for the character in general that he kind of lost a brother there. And uh, I think it means a lot to a lot of people in that he's got his own comic right now. You know, people have a fondness for Ben Riley even if he's not totally dead anymore. Right, right. Well, Clone's going to live forever, Dan. Well, Mark, what do you think about this storytelling choice, death? Like, how do you think it should be used in the pages of a Spider-Man comic? Because, as you can see, it's used quite often, and this is only, like, with major characters. Someone like Dan Slott has killed, you know, a handful of these supporting characters uh, over the years, and it seems like every time we come to an anniversary issue or something like that, like... You can almost like clockwork imagine that a supporting character is going to die now, and you can chalk that up to whether or not like they're using it as a way to move the needle on comic sales because deaths get people to pick up the issue. But like as a storytelling uh, technique, what do you think about death? It's it's funny. I mean, I, I I feel as a whole, not not necessarily for Spider Man, but superhero comics lean on death too much. And yet, I, you know, I feel I think it's more of a gimmick than than a uh, um, than always a, a, a like kind of a a, a true, well designed storyline point in a lot of instances. Yet, when it comes to Spider Man and certainly the deaths that we're talking about here, it, there's a, something kind of appropriate and fitting. I mean, you know, Spider Man himself would not exist without the death of like a a, a, a tertiary. A, a character that is not related to the superhero drama and yet is affected by it all the same. And that's kind of what, um, in a lot of ways, makes Spider-Man so distinct and so unique is the fact that, you know, he's he's this accidental hero who initially doesn't know what to do with it, misuses it, and, and creates this problem for himself. And I feel that the fact that so many of these characters here, I mean, are... are, are the complete opposite of superpowered, you know, like Gwen Stacy or flat, well, not flash here, but like Nathan Lebesky or even Gene DeWolf. Um, you know, they're, they're, they are literal pawns in this, in this grand mythology. And yet because of their connection to this one character, uh, and because of maybe some of the mistakes he's made or his, or his human frailties, they inevitably die, and I, I, I feel like that those these are appropriate choices. Like I, I like I like how death is incorporated. It kind of stuns me to think that 
after Uncle Ben died, I mean, Captain Stacy is essentially the first significant death. I mean, I know you mentioned Frederick Foswell, but I, I mean, someone who was in more than just a handful of issues. Right, you know what I mean? Right, right, right. No, don't let me elevate Frederick Foswell as much as I like him. Or, or, or what? Bennett, Bennett Brandt, I guess, was one of the first deaths too. That, um, yeah, get... yeah, he was on my list, but was excised shortly. Yeah, yeah. It seems it seems at home here um, in Spider Man, um, whereas maybe other universes kind of overuse it. Because I, I, like I said, I feel it's overused when it's a super powered character. Like I feel like that's something that gets used just to advance sales and 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 to kind of create hype. Whereas you know, I don't know if people are running out to buy Spider-Man comics when, I don't know, that uh, Jay Jameson's going to die. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. That's my thoughts. What about you? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, in a funny way, I, 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 I think this has kind of diminishing returns, even though I found the recent death of Flash Thompson to be quite moving. But I have to think at that funeral, is everybody looking around and going like, what is happening here? Why are all these people in our vicinity dying in such elaborately connected to supervillain ways? <laughs> uh, but maybe that's just life in New York City in the Marvel Universe. Is like every street corner is absolute peril. But yeah, I think you know if, if used sparingly, it can be powerful. And I think you know the death of Uncle Ben and Captain Stacy really proves that. This is a core part of the Spider-Man character is not only the supporting cast, but like the, li- the life and death of supporting cast members and what that means to Peter, you know? And, and death, you know, like the death of Uncle Ben is such a big part of Spider-Man mythos. You have to do it somewhere, you know? And the way that it can really matter, because we all know at the end of the day, Peter is not going to die, Right. So, like, the closest you can get to stabbing our heart is to go through Peter's friends, who won't necessarily be back. Um, although, track records is mixed on that. Just ask but, Aunt May. I gotta assume that when... And again, maybe this also speaks to the frequency of it and the problematicness of that. But when you were reading Amazing Spider-Man number 800, I mean, wasn't there kind of a tension about who from the supporting cast was going to die, because you figured somebody was, right? It seemed almost certain, yeah, uh, that, that you know, you bring back Norman, you've got a threat on everybody established for multiple issues, like, someone's going to bite the dust. It would have been almost more shocking if someone didn't die, you know, right. at, at that point. And, you know, it's the penultimate issue of, like, a 10-year run. So, you know, I thought it was really appropriately handled. And if I had my guess on who it would be like, you know, I think flash Thompson would have been at the top of that list behind Jameson. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, you know, uh, not surprising, but not the most obvious character, but, but beyond that, yeah, there is a certain kind of like expectancy to like, well, someone's going to die in these big blockbuster, uh, issues. Yeah. No question on that. I want to go back to George Stacy's death as a character uh, specifically and ask you, like, what do you think about this death changed Spider-Man as a character or changed his approach to the secret identity? You know, because this is without knowing that Gwen Stacy's death is going to come down the line. Do you think that this started that path towards, like, the value of his secret identity? I mean, I don't think that his 
Peter Parker persona had much to do with this. It was a random ac- accident, you know. But like, it definitely would change Peter and his approach to, or at least it should have changed his approach to being a superhero and the kind of responsibility he has towards um, safeguarding other people from you know sometimes his reckless decisions. I don't know how much it changed with his. I mean, I feel like. If you're going to talk about the identity and the, and the sanctity of that, I mean, Gwen Stacy still seems to be the 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 real example there in terms of the 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 consequences of Peter's secret identity not being a secret. I do feel that Captain Stacy's death profoundly changed this him as a character, but also how these stories were told because it it, it kind of it and you know again this also is a reflection on how comics were changing at the time so like but that 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 shouldn't be lost on this but i feel like it, captain stacy's death kind of established that this was this was a decision that could be made now you know what i mean like this is the, this was an okay decision from the from the 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 gods of comic book creators who who are writing and and illustrating these things that um Essentially, when it came to the supporting cast, even even innocent characters, and there probably was no innocent more. I want to say there was no one more innocent than Captain Stacy, but he was fairly pure <laughs> in terms right. of uh, um, that that there there are consequences in in interacting in in this mythology, and I I I, I just don't think that that can be that can be missed that this really was the first domino to fall and, and whether Gwen's death was too soon after or not, or, you know, was them trying to further clean up a mess that they were, you know, in terms of the characterization or whatever, all that aside, like it, it really was the first, you know, it's, it's the snowball gaining momentum when, when Captain Stacy dies that, that anyone is fair game. You said it better than I ever could. Uh, rest in peace, Captain Stacy, I think. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for joining us for our ninth episode of our second season of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Dan, our next episode should be out in a few weeks. Uh, what's going to be the title for that one? Yeah, it's going to be called Spider-Man is Coming Home. And it's going to be our discussion about all the toys and merchandise introduced during the John Romita Sr. and Stan Lee era on the book and how that changed the scope and experience of Spider-Man fandom. Yeah, and hopefully we'll have a, a guest on that uh, can talk to that topic too. We're, we're finalizing the details on that, so, so stay tuned on social media for that one, right, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed this week for a special review of Amazing Spider-Man number 801 and a review roundout episode discussing all of June's B-title books. Remember, for just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, swarm B-book reviews, extended interviews, mailbags, and more. And for $10 or more a month, you'll get access to some awesome commission artwork. Uh, this time around, it's going to be from Alex Saviak. Mark, I'm really excited to see what Alex Saviak has done for us in the next month. And uh, for everybody who's on Patreon, please keep your eyes and ears and whatever open because Mark and I have a bunch of new announcements to make. Uh, probably in the next week or so, we're going to have a big announcement on Patreon of some cool new content for you guys. Um, but also be sure in the meantime to check out other shows like 
the ultimate spin as they wrap up the end of Spider-Gwen. They're going to make it to 100 episodes before they call it quits. So that's really exciting. We got two to go. Or the untold talks of Spider-Man where they recently discussed Web of Spider-Man numbers 8 and 9 with the ultimate spin's Brian Jacob. Plus, we've also got the amazing Spider-Slack community for you to join just check this episode's description for a link to join our Spider-Man talking community. We've recently been sharing a lot of our thoughts on Steve Dicko in that community. Um, images, stories that we're finding, anecdotes. So it's a good place to kind of be to still feel out the aftermath of Dicko's passing. Absolutely. Definitely check out both those communities. Dan, where can we find you on social media? Well, of course, you can find me on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk. You can read all of our old writing over on AmazingSpiderTalk.com, or you can follow my personal account on Twitter at, at DanGavazdan. And also, you should check out The Hollywood Reporter, because I had a piece published there all about my thoughts on Steve Ditko's passing, and uh, you should check out that article. How about you, Mark? Awesome stuff, Dan. Yeah, you can, of course, find me on Twitter on, at ChasingASMblog. Uh, you can find me, uh, all my old writings and stuff, on ChasingAmazingBlog.com and on uh, com. And, of course, uh, you can get my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, Dan. Uh, this past weekend, as we're recording, it was the one-year anniversary of the Spider-Man Homecoming movie, which was kind of like coincided with my book's anniversary as well. So, you know, good, good stuff there. Happy anniversary, Mark. There we go. Sounds like it's time for me to do an annual reread. Oh, geez. You don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one thing we do like to revisit are the immortal words of Uncle Ben that has been attributed to him in his dying breath of sorts. While he might have said, with great power must also come great responsibility, it's Captain George Stacey who provided our most memorable phrase in his, on his own deathbed. And Mark, uh, what, what was he able to choke out as life slowly slipped away from him? Wow, this is dark. He, he, he choked out. With great podcasts must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next episode.